This is the EdTech Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. sitting there with a pen and paper. Virtual reality is an interesting medium where students can access a wide range of content. Joining me now on the podcast is Ryan Patnod, the Senior Vice President and Co-Founder of FEV Tutor, and Dr. Paul Miller, Director of Personalized Learning for Johns Hopkins University and the Success for All Foundation. Guys, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Great to be here. Thanks, Tyler. Absolutely. So today we are talking about uh, equitable learning pathways, access, and personalized learning pathways for at-risk and special student populations. Um, and, and you guys have really worked together for a long time, working towards creating um, systems and pathways for students. But I'd love to hear from both of you just as we get started, um, how you came to, to work in education and where that passion was really ignited uh, to work in this field. Uh, Ryan, why don't you kick us off and just kind of talk about how you, uh, you landed in this area. That sounds great, Tyler. Thanks again for, for having us today. Um, I'll give you guys the, the quick version. Um, you know, my, my mom is a reading teacher by trade, and so I actually grew up in a family of educators. My sister is a high school math teacher at an urban school district that actually got taken over by a university is it, and is on a five-year transformation plan with a lot of uh, challenges, and my grandmother was a science teacher. So it was easy for me to have the, the passion and the mission to try to serve students in public education and, and try to affect change, and, and quite frankly, um, I really think in my mom's heart, she wanted me to be a teacher um, as, a, as a professional career. And I did start off as a substitute teacher, so I hope that counts. And um, through my uh, professional business experiences um, after college, I was lucky enough to uh, partner up with several individuals and uh, lucky enough to be able to, to start FEB Tutor, which ultimately, um, I, I believe, um, as a person, I can have a larger impact on that mission and that goal, especially uh, growing up as, as a family, uh, through a family of educators. So, you know, through gaining some professional sales, business development, and uh, technology-related experience, um, we were able to sort of craft and design technology and solutions um, aligned with that vision and that mission. So, uh, sort of a, a good combination, and, and hopefully, um, you know, I, I make my uh, family uh, proud uh, being in the same uh, the same area here with FEV Tutor. Absolutely. Dr. Miller, I'd, I'd love to kind of hear more about your story as well. I know that you have been a teacher in the past and now doing work at Johns Hopkins University. How did you uh, find your way into education and uh, and what really motivated and, and lit that fire for you? You know, I, I, you know as you said, I, I started my career in uh, Baltimore City as a uh, public school teacher. Um, I taught middle school math. And then I moved from middle school math into uh, the world of coaching, and I was a math coach for pre-K through sixth grade at a charter organization in Baltimore City. And really working for both charter schools and public schools, I got to see kind of how systems really interact or the lack of systems and how that really impacts ultimately students' uh, success in the classroom. So I, after a few years in the classroom and, you know, I, I went back to grad school and all that kind of good stuff, I shifted my focus 
more on instructional design and looking at instructional systems development and how we could really look at systems as a way to promote uh, what happens in the classroom by looking at the teachers. So very similar to what Ryan said, you know, I, I felt like stepping out of the classroom and looking more at the holistic view of education from a school to a district to a state level really enabled me to make more of an impact as we looked at that systems approach to actually impact in student achievement. So I, when I left the classroom, I, I worked for an organization called the Success for All Foundation that works primarily with students at risk, uh, with literacy and math using a cooperative learning model. And, uh, you know, as you kind of, as we talk through today, really cooperative learning is my background um, in relation to student uh, achievement through engagement. That's where a lot of my research has been done. And, and I was fortunate enough to work with Dr. Robert Slavin and write a math uh, pre-K through 12th grade intervention that looked at system-wide support for teachers in supporting uh, evidence-based practices in math classrooms to increase student engagement and ultimately use high leverage practices and all those kind of good teaching uh, pieces that are grounded in research to make a difference for students. And uh, we were awarded a $25 million investing in innovation grant in 2011 to scale up that process nationwide. And uh, we scaled up to 18 different states. Uh, we were in 130 so schools and uh, we impacted around 140,000 students through this process. But one of the things that really um, stood out as we were scaling up the model was what happens in a cooperative learning group when students really just don't get it. You know, in, in math specifically, we deal a lot with um, heterogeneous grouping. You know, we, we, every student, whether they're, uh, you know, uh, academic, um, academically gifted or, you know, they, they really kind of struggle, uh, they're all in the same classroom. So how do we really differentiate and provide social interactions, but then provide that additional support as needed. So in thinking for the teachers who are out there of the uh, response to intervention model, how do we really hit the tier three intervention for all students who really need additional support in specific areas? Um, like I said, regardless if, if they have a disability or not, but how do we really target those? And that's kind of where my, my paths cross with Ryan um, at actually a conference uh, a few years back in, I believe it was Minneapolis, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, I just remember it was very cold. It was in the middle of winter. Um, and, you know, we, we were problem solving through this, and, you know, it, it was kind of the light bulb that went off that we could use um, some kind of tutoring service that ultimately didn't require a live tutor in the building. You know, um, obviously, uh, you know, personnel, um, it, there's so many different variables inside a building that kind of prohibit that. And this was a kind of a solution that allowed us to have a person on the other side of, of, of a computer that really would enable the student to have their unique needs met in real time, you know, getting real feedback, real coaching, real support. And through that coordinated effort could really play into that systems approach that we were aiming for. 
um, through the systems change of the model that we had. Yeah, so kind of what I hear you saying is is that there's always been an issue of bandwidth when it comes to teachers, you know, going all the way back to probably, you know, single room schoolhouses, uh, you know, with different grades and everything like that. It's still an issue that we're dealing with, just that teachers can't multiply themselves and uh, they can't give students always the individual attention that's necessary. And so um, what you're able to create then with a system like this is the ability to group kids in certain areas to understand who needs what and be able to provide that and to be able to provide that using a technology solution, which sounds like it is uh, is having a, a great effect. Have you been able to see some of the um, some of the results and how do you measure success in, in, in something like this? Yeah, so I think um, kind of breaking down uh, your question, uh, Tyler, if that's okay, um, you know, from a research perspective, um, you know, research shows that student engagement really is an effective means of uh, increasing student attainment, um, especially in math. Um, you know, one of the things that research hasn't yet done is shown how technology in a one-to-one environment really can impact students, right? So, you know, there's been big studies of like Khan Academy and those kind of things that, you know, kind of almost, uh, almost take that automated process and uh, have students engage in that one-to-one environment with a student and a computer. You know, obviously there are ways to provide um, feedback along the way, motivational elements. So, you know, they, they uh, have a system of uh, badging with uh, planets and medias and all that kind of stuff. So it's an element almost of gamification that uh, provides that motivation to students. But the sustained motivation isn't necessarily there because there isn't that human element of engagement that exists in that system. So, you know, one of the things that is really unique that we found with FEB Tutor is it really allowed for that uh, engagement and collaboration to continue. Um, you know, obviously on the other side of the computer, even though it's, it is through a machine, um, there is a person. You know, so that person can talk, engage, uh, develop relationships with the student in order to give the student the uh, quote unquote environment that they need in order to be successful. Right. So, you know, the, the engagement was really, really key in this process. And very early on in the I3 initiative, we actually uh, piloted this as a tier three intervention, which uh, basically means that we provided individualized support. Um, using diagnostic assessments and high intensity to students in Norfolk public schools. Yeah, absolutely. So um, when we worked with uh, Paul in the I3 grant, Tyler, and this was sort of at some of the initial stages of FEB Tutor because ultimately you need to have a research foundation. So the reason you asked that question, which is a good one, is that, hey, if there's no data and research to support that this is an effective program or product, then, you know, what are we investing our funds in and our time in? And is this really effective? Because great ideas are, are you know, sometimes, unfortunately, or, you know, fortunately a dime a dozen, and unless you can execute them with the results, um, they're not as, as meaningful. So through um, the research and the programs that we designed with Paul, um, our cohort of students that we worked with, which was small initially, I think it was around 61 students, um, we found that 50% of those students were able to um, become proficient on their Virginia Standards of Learning State Assessment, which is the you know, highest level of accountability um, for schools and districts in the state of Virginia, and that sort of follows through all states throughout the United States of how 
schools and districts are evaluated in the public education sector. So it was taking a group of 61 students, putting them into intensive intervention remediation based on data that showed where their skill gaps were and seeing if that one-to-one -one tutoring could have a direct correlation between um, academic achievement um, and thinking about a world where those students had been failing those state assessments year after year um, and then also uh, looking at Paul as a, a researcher, right? So looking at it with a control group versus a treatment group and really uh, drilling down into that research and uh, the direct result of that small, sort of that small pilot that we did under the I3 grant with Paul actually resulted in a, a published um, you know, research study by Old Dominion University, which was sort of the starting point for uh, developing and evolving the FEV tutor system, you know, to what it is today where we work with um, over 700 schools and districts throughout the country. So um, that was a quick snapshot of what resulted from that, including um, a research study, which was the, the data at the infancy of, you know, evolving the FEV tutor system. How much did feedback from administrators and from teachers really help you craft something that was of utmost value uh, and the most effective that it could be? Uh, did, you, did you get feedback from teachers and, and what was that like? Absolutely. I mean, really, I mean, a school only functions if the leadership is strong. I mean, that's, uh, you know, pr a primary driver of research. Um, you know, there is such a uh, high correlation or strong correlation between leadership and the school-wide supports that are in place within a school. You know, and then outside of that is, you know, the correlation between professional development. So really aligning the various elements of a school system or a schoolhouse, if you will, that makes sure that teachers specifically have the information and the training that they need in order to really implement an, an intervention like FEV with, with fidelity, right? So, you know, it's the kind of commitment going into this. And that was uh, one of the things I think that we really were able to um, kind of help FEV with. So in the successful world um, with the power teacher model, um, part of the adoption process behind uh, adopting something like the Power Teaching Math program required an 80% teacher vote in favor of the program. You know, so as we work with Ryan, and, you know, obviously Ryan works in other school districts beyond uh, what, what we were in with him, um, you know, we, we, we said to them, you know, look at how you're recruiting schools. You know, what is the process behind the information that is known and the challenges that uh, teachers and schools are going to face to implement this and the supports that are going to be provided by you to get over that hurdle to actually go from self-tossed to impact. So, you know, really from a research perspective, we align that to the concerns-based adoption model. You know, from, uh, you know, basic awareness to renewal. You know, uh, you know you, you, there's highs and lows in any kind of implementation and whether in the implementation dip that can happen and having the supports there and working through that to ultimately come out of the other side to really see the benefits at the student level. Because initially it's not about the student, right? I'm a teacher, somebody's coming in and saying, hey, there's a tutoring program, but it's not like Khan Academy where you go online and you know the student just kind of interacts with the computer. You are a key piece of this puzzle. You know, we wanna hear from you. We want, we wanna know from your teacher um, expertise and standardized assessments and, and all of that kind of uh, good stuff. 
what this student really needs. You know, and, and in some ways, a teacher could say, wow, that's really empowering. I get to, you know, be the expert here and really help inform something that's going to help my student. But, but then on the other side, it's, it's an additional piece of work, right? It's an additional layer of responsibility. So, you know, really having that relationship from a, from a leadership perspective to say, if you do this, these are some of the things that your teachers may need. You know, and, and if you don't do these things, this is what could potentially happen. That's the same type of coaching and leadership and mentorship that Paul has been able to give me and give our organization over the course of time um, for the idea of continuous improvement and adapting and evolving our models to synchronize with the needs and the ecosystem of our school and district partners. I remember Paul would always tell me, you know, Ryan, uh, as you design and develop the systems at FEV Tutor, they have to be designed and developed in a way where FEV Tutor can be successful in any school or district ecosystem, even the most challenging ones. And I would listen to him, and I probably wouldn't completely understand what he was talking about until several years later. Um, but over the course of time, he also uh, taught me a, a, another valuable lesson that, you know, relationships matter. Uh, building real credibility and relationships with key stakeholders, especially with teachers, listening to their feedback and then doing something about it is how you're going to win folks over, how you're going to get them to buy into your program, and then ultimately how you're going to get them to engage in the process. And if you can start with getting the administrators and the teachers engaged in the process because they know that their feedback will not only be taken in but will be immediately implemented and executed into the program, while you're working towards the same goal, there's a ton of value there. And so to answer your direct question that you asked initially, um, our whole program and product model is predicated on listening to feedback from everyone from a high-level administrator through to the teacher, through to a parent, and then all the way down to the student where we even have a student feedback survey at the end of every tutoring session because each point of feedback that we get can actually be taken to improve the product and the service. And as long as we are all on the same page with a common goal and we start to accomplish those, um, build those relationships and create processes that are repeatable and scalable, um, then there's something that we can do here uh, to affect change on scale. And I do credit um, a lot of that development in, in that product program and company development to Paul's mentorship, coaching. And as you can hear from his voice, you know, all of that comes from being on the ground floor at these schools and districts and really helping them at the, at the ground level uh, to try to accomplish their goals as a school or a district and learning that through uh, practical experience, um, you know, throughout the country across those, you know, 300 or 400 schools that he worked with directly um, over all that time during the grant. And that really seems to kind of play into your company motto. This is, you know, practicing what you preach. It's continuous improvement. Um, and I, I think that that's really cool that that permeates through the entirety of what you do, just always uh, listening to feedback and crafting um, what you do uh, to, to make the best product possible to help the most amount of students. I, I'm kind of wondering just if you could distill it down and kind of paint a picture of how would things look different if you were given uh, free reign to kind of uh, set things up the way that you think would work best uh, in the education system in America? 
That's a really great question. It's a loaded question at best. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think from a uh, kind of a, a personal perspective, you know, w- one of the things that I think, um, you know, we've we've kind of shifted away from, but we know really work in education is that kind of social element to education. And I think that, you know, when technology really became the in thing, right? So we're talking one-on-one devices, bring your own uh, device to school initiatives, all of those kind of things. We haven't really been able to crack the code of how we can really leverage technology to support learning in a meaningful way. You know, um, don't get me wrong, and, and I'm generalizing because some students are very successful with um, with uh, technology and, you know, the things like Khan Academy and, and stuff like that. But, you know, for the, for the average student, we're, we're social beings. So when we don't have opportunities to collaborate and to communicate and to problem solve together, you know, we we kind of uh, we kind of miss out. We're not at, at, at best selves, if you will. And, you know, when you look, especially at um, early childhood, for example, you know, this kind of this this kind of jump into the education space, um, you know, has kind of removed us from things like play. You know, you often hear that, you know, students don't get recess or they don't get a lunch break when they get to go outside and, you know, kind of roughhouse with each other. And, you know, they lack the social skills then that they don't have the opportunity to develop to deal with conflict that may arise in the in the classroom or, or outside, um, you know, on the streets beyond the confines of the school ground. You know, so, so I think, uh, you know, kind of with that in mind, it's, you know, it's kind of going back to that basics. Like, you know, how do we provide opportunities for our students to socialize and use technology to help support their learning, but not, not necessarily um, determine what learning should be for them. You know, in my mind, I, I think we really need to kind of pause and refocus and, uh, you know, really um, take that reflective look at what's working and how the world is changing and how we can really, you know, give our students the best possible environment to be successful. Absolutely. I, I don't only have a little uh, tidbit to add to Paul's in-depth analysis there, which I, I completely agree with, by the way. Um, you know, the observation and analysis, to me, if there are other countries that are modeling um, successful education ecosystems, then, you know, why not observe and analyze and take from some of those and implement pieces that would fit in here um, in the U.S. to improve, right? Because in the same way that I said continuous improvement before, that's the, the quote-unquote motto or the mantra for many uh, schools and districts throughout the country, especially those that have significant achievement gaps. And so in order to to really execute a plan like that, um, I think you do have to go through and, and sort of listen to everything that, that Paul says in there. But in my mind, um, creating uh, critical thinkers, problem solvers, and self-advocates are three of the main key indicators of having a pathway to be a successful citizen. I think that there can be some real progress um, made. And it doesn't even have to, you know, yes, that's 10 years down the road. Um, so, you know, what can we do today to start taking those steps in that direction? Ryan, if I could, if I could just jump in there, um, you know, I think my personal mentor is obviously uh, Dr. Robert Slavin. And, you know, I think he really says this best is, you know, it, through the lens of change and no evidence is a fashion, it's a fad. 
right? Change plus evidence is systemic improvement. You know, and, and when you look at evidence, evidence takes time to understand. Evidence takes time to uh, collect, you know, to do a research study. You know, it takes time. You know, when I look at the, the power teaching study that we did or even the, uh, you know, the, um, the pilot study that we did with Ryan, you know, we're, we're talking months to years to, sh to show that something is effective. You know, but we need that evidence plus the change that it shows in order to really make that systems improvement, Tyler, that I think that you're looking for in this kind of grand vision of where we should be in, you know, 10, 15, 20 years time. You know, without evidence, when you look at any other field, you know, when you look at medicine, for example, you know, medicine is heavily reliant on research. You know, I, I, I'm from the Johns Hopkins world. You know, the, the, look at what the medical research has done from the Hopkins lens. You know, uh, if it's down, even down to something as simple as a checklist to decrease, uh, you know, uh, the uh, spread of um, a checklist to wash your hands to decrease the, uh, you know, the, the spread of disease, you know, in, in the operating room or something like that. You know, in, in, in education, we don't do that. You know, what we tend to do is say, ooh, there's a new shiny thing. You know, like I said, a, a split second, it was technology, right? I mean, you know, it, schools went from having no computers to every kid having a laptop in front of them. You know, while there was no real evidence to show that it worked, and now it's kind of a fad, right? So when you look at school districts that had or implemented one-on-one -on -one initiatives, the long-range plan wasn't really there to replace the computers after, you know, 18 to 24 months once their life cycle run out, you know, and, you know, the, the fiscal piece that was attached to that. So, you know, that long-range plan really needs to be there and the evidence needs to be there to show that it can be successful for students or it's just another thing in education. And, you know, if you, if you speak to a lot of teachers, they'll often tell you, especially if they've been in education for, you know, a few years, you know, things kind of, it's like a pendulum. Things go one way and then come back in a few years' time. And, you know, that's a one thing. Evidence that shows what change does and the impact that it makes really makes for that systemic improvement to happen. Absolutely. And one, one thing is for sure, the evidence shows that I think that if I had taken math from Paul, I'd be much better off today than I am uh, <laughs> at math uh, as I am right now. I <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, Ryan Patnod, Senior Vice President and Co-Founder of FEV Tutor, and Dr. Paul Miller, Director of Personalized Learning for Johns Hopkins University. Guys, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. And that was really informative. And I think I've, I've learned a lot about the education system. And I hope um, our listeners have as well. Guys, I, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. We appreciate it too. Thanks for having us, Tyler. We appreciate it.